Thank you, worship team. It's still good to get together, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Would you consider yourself a procrastinator? <laughs> Pretty much everybody. Yeah, sometimes, for those of you who are still thinking about it, you're procrastinating giving an answer. Um, how, how about when you hear a particular directive right from God's Word? Okay, so it's going to get convicting, right? I know, I know. And you know that that directive that you're hearing is not particularly strong in your walk at, at that present time. It might even be a place where from time to time you stumble. Um, when you hear it, do you act on it immediately in some way? You know, there, there are some right things that we all know we should be doing today, right now. But we're still waiting for the right moment to come <laughs> where, 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 we, where we're going to implement those things. Um, we might even get spiritual about it and say that we're waiting on the Lord. <laughs> you know, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we, we call it patience. Is it possible that the things we put off in life are the result of procrastination? Spiritual procrastination. You know, as soon as I get a better job, then I'll, whatever it is, uh, as soon as I finish school, uh, as, as soon as I stop being busy, tell me when that happens, okay? Just please tell me, does that ever happen? Or how about this one? As soon as I discover the perfect church, yeah. then I'll, how's that working out for you, by the way? You, you found it? Let me know, because I want to join. Eventually, the due diligence phase that we all should go through Unfortunately, when we put it off, it yields to the do-it-later phase and then another right thing that we're supposed to do gets covered in cobwebs and it gets forgotten. Uh, William Feather had so many neat things to say during his lifetime, and here's one of the wise things he, he wrote. Conditions are never just right. Don't wait for them. People who delay action until all factors are favorable, guess what they do? He says, they do nothing. There's something to be said for doing the right thing right now when you hear it. And when you're convicted and when the spirit moves, just do it. And you fill in the details as you go along. It doesn't mean that details aren't important. It doesn't mean that preparation isn't necessary. But at some time, you and I, we've got to quit compiling information about what it is we're supposed to do and then just pursue the life right choices. Just do it. But doing the right thing, what? It, if you do it all the time, it's tiring. <laughs> it takes a lot of discipline. And the immediate results that you get from doing the right thing don't always meet your expectations. And it's always easy to second-guess yourself after you do the right thing. Uh, when Abraham was well past the age where most people consider slowing down, God said to him, it's in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, and God said, Abe... Go out from your country, from your relatives, and your father's household to the land that I'll show you. And Abraham, what? He went. And he did the right thing, not having a long-term specific plan. Not knowing exactly what lay ahead, only that he was following the plan that God had communicated. Do you and I today have the plan for our lives that God has communicated. Many of you are holding it in your hands right now. And there is probably something that you know that you should be doing right now. 
because the Holy Spirit has been putting it in your face. (laughs) Maybe it's time to just do what Abraham did and just take the first step. However big, however small that first step is, even if all the questions haven't been answered, even if you don't know what life is going to be like come this fall because nobody does, and all the problems won't be solved and won't have gone away, but we still have to live for God right now. The results might not be immediate. They rarely are. Don't count on that. It might not be all that you hope for, and most likely when you do the right thing, you're going to also be forced to make some very difficult adjustments along the way. But living according to God's plan for your life, for my life, according to His will, sure beats living life forever in some fantasy land of someday. Something good is going to come. It is good. Not in this world. And the Apostle Peter, where we've been in, in his second letter for the last couple weeks, the Apostle Peter is going to share some prophetic words in chapter 3 of his second letter. They are prophetic truth, and they have a profound effect on how you and I look at each other, on how we look at our life, our family, our work, even our school. And they're supposed to cause us to live differently now. <laughs> That's my prayer for me and for you, to always be about doing the right thing. So listen, let's recap Second Peter chapter 3. We finished off in verses 1 and 2 last week, and here's what he said. Dear friends, this is already the second letter I have written to you in which I am trying to stir up your pure mind by a way of a reminder. He wants to remind our pure minds about something. I want you to recall both the predictions foretold by the holy prophets and the commandment of, the Lord, of our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Remember last week we learned in Jesus Christ, in Christ, we have pure minds. That's our position before God. But they get distracted. We procrastinate, as, as we learned earlier. We get lazy. We get self-sufficient. All those things. And our minds, these pure minds that God has given us in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, they need to be stirred up. And it seems it happens often. At least for me it does. And stirred by what? Two things, Peter says. The prophetic words of the Old Testament prophets about this world's future. Everybody wants to know what Peter's going to tell us. And the second thing is the commandment of Jesus, as shared through the New Testament apostles, whose writings and letters we have. And we can look at them anytime we want. So here is Peter, one of those New Testament apostles, sharing words from Jesus Christ himself. Verse 3, above all, so I've said a lot, but here's something I want you to get. Listen to this. Understand this. In the last days, Blatant scoffers will come, being propelled by their own evil urges and saying, where is his, speaking of Jesus, where is his promised return? For ever since our ancestors died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Nothing's changed. What are you talking about? And Peter stirs up our pure minds with this information. Peter wants us to have this sincere, 
true understanding about the truth of this spinning out of control planet we all live on and the entire destiny for the human race. This pure understanding for every believer in Jesus Christ of how things are will sharply contrast with the warped thinking of the scoffers that he's been telling us about and their distorted evil desires. So let's revive our bearings this morning on where we stand. Let's get a concrete idea in our head where we are along history's timeline because that bearing will change everything about how you and I live and interact with each other. The last days, Peter says. What are the last days? Well, we saw from Jude in his letter that the readers he was writing to were living in the last days, the last times, Jude called it. So that means that you and I are what? Living in the last days. The last days, the last times, the day of the Lord, sometimes it's referred to. All refer to the fact that God is going to come one day in judgment and in salvation. Over and over again, the last times we learn are, are the age inaugurated by Jesus Christ's first coming. Right up until his second coming. And we're in between those two things. It'll be a time of judgment, as I said. It'll be a time of salvation. And this is precisely the time when Satan is going to have scoffers come into the church. They're here. They've been here for over 2,000 years. They've had a lot of time to sow their seeds. They're all around us, and they mock the idea that such a coming of God in judgment and salvation is even going to happen. What's a scoffer, by the way? A scoffer is someone who insults other people. When you're on the uh, social media, doesn't matter which one, do you encounter a lot of scoffers? I do. They're everywhere. They're in the church. They're outside the church. But the ones that Peter is talking about here are the scoffers inside the church. And they're people who, who challenge the very honor of someone else. And in this case, the honor they are actually challenging is God's honor. The very honor of God. And what he has declared to be true. That should be changing how we live. And it's what he has declared to be true about the past, about the present, and about our future. And what's their motivation? What could be the motivation of someone putting down what God has said about coming back and judging this planet? It's, Peter says that they are propelled by their own evil urges. In other words, their life is so controlled, so dominated and directed by sin, their sinful nature, their sinful desires, rather than by a desire for God through the Holy Spirit. In other words, if Abraham had been controlled like they are, he would have said no to the promise of God. He'd have rejected it. And this charge that the past promises of God have gone unfulfilled is a charge against the honor of God himself. And why would they do that? Verse 5, for they deliberately suppress this fact. There are people in the church who deliberately ignore the things 
that we have Peter to remind us of. The scoffers are forgetting the Bible. They're ignoring the Bible. They're ignoring biblical history. They're, and they're suppressing of this truth that Jesus is coming back to judge is the result of them wanting so badly to maintain their human sin, their warped um, reasoning powers. It's, it's a lot like you and I, unfortunately. You know how sometimes you might be tempted to overlook the data that uh, is contrary to what you believe? Like to, to blow it off, to make up all the excuses, you don't have to look at it. Have you ever done that? You're so in love with your own position or your own direction or the decisions you've made about something that you just put up your hands and you say, don't, 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 don't confuse me with the data. I, mean, I don't want to hear anymore. I've made up my mind. I don't want to hear, and even if it's true, I don't want to hear it. Just stop it. You ever done that? I see people do this all the time when they're buying things. <laughs> I do. Because we want to believe this thing, so don't mess with me on it. We're so in love with our own positions. In other words, this su suppressing of the truth is the result of their desire that there be no evidence for a final judgment. I don't want this to be true. It messes up all my life choices. If God is coming back to judge this planet and it's going to burn up and I'll be gone, then everything I'm living for doesn't matter like I thought it did. And I don't want that to be true, so I just won't make it true. I'll live like it's not true. So I'll just suppress the truth so that I can do what I want to do. It's been going on since the beginning of time, since Adam and Eve. Have you ever suppressed the truth? Come on now. This is church. You can't lie. Have you ever been guilty of suppressing the truth? You hear something and you know it's right and you know it and it convicts you, but you just wait it out and that conviction kind of goes away. Or you find someone else in another church or online or in a book who says it differently the way you like it. So that's got to be true because they're a Christian too. So Peter now takes his where? to this basic belief about God, and it's God 101. If you can't go here, you're in big trouble. So he's going to break it down, make it really simple. Here's God 101. God created the world. Everybody with me? Yeah? Yeah, we're okay? Some of you aren't sure. Sure. Today we're told by science, people outside the church, that there is no evidence for that belief. We need to get over that because that's understandable. If you don't believe in a, in a God, in a creator, of course this isn't what you're going to believe. So that's outside the church. But these people that Peter is talking about, they're not men and women of science. They're teachers in the church. And this is 2,000 years ago. So Peter is quick to bring evidence to the contrary of their position concerning God and his promises of a future coming judgment on this planet. This is where we're going. It's not going to get better. We're not evolving into a greater society. It's going to get worse, and it's going to get much worse, and then God's going to burn it up. It's probably maybe not what you want to hear, but Peter presents the creation event as exhibit number one. 
that by the word of God, heavens existed long ago and an earth was formed out of water and by means of water. That's a fact. Through these things, the world existing at that time was destroyed. Through what things? Through the water that God separated in the beginning, he then used later on, was destroyed when it was deluged with water. That's the flood with Noah. These scoffers in the church community then and today, unlike the scoffers outside the church community, probably believe that there was a creation and that God created the planet. They do believe that. But they misuse the creation story to point to the fact that the world appears to be running along without any judgment. Not for a very long time. There's been no judgment, they say. But the rea- Is that a good point, by the way? Peter says, that's not a good point. That's not good at all. The reality is that things have changed. <laughs> things have changed big time. Wake up, read, read your Bible. You and I live today in the second age of the world. It's an age that is separated from the first age by God's water judgment with a worldwide cataclysmic flood. And our current second age that you and I live in right now will be separated from the next age to come by God's worldwide cataclysmic judgment with fire, water and then fire. Things have not continued as they were from the beginning of creation. They're wrong. After God separated the waters in the creation account, he then, a thousand or so years later, had to separate the waters again in a flood to restrain mankind's chaos and return the world to order. Forgetting this in the developing of your and my worldview is a serious problem if we forget this. It's really serious. It, and it allows the scoffers here to forget that there is a precedent for the coming fire judgment that Jesus and the Old Testament prophets predict. Their assumptions have proved false. And since the Bible says this is the way it all went down in the past, back at creation and then again at the flood, then verse 7, by the same word of God, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire by being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So now Peter, having laid this out pretty clearly, pretty simply, remember it's God 101, He now turns to the second issue that false teachers and people, others in the church have. They scoff at this apparent delay for God's coming judgment. Verse 8. Now, dear friends, do not let this one thing escape your notice. Here's why you guys are messed up on this delay thing. A single day is like a thousand years with the Lord. He's not confined by time like you and I are. And a thousand years for God, it's like that. It's like a single day. And this thing that Peter says, now friends, don't let this escape your notice. I think we let it escape our notice and we get ourselves trapped into a time cycle. 
and we wonder, God, how long? When, how long is this going to happen? Uh, my patience is running thin. And from God, it's like, it's, it's like a moment. Like, come on, get over it. And this thing that we're not to forget and to keep in our mind all the time is also like in places like Psalm 90, verse 4, where the psalmist says, For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. Or like a watch in the night. And in Psalm 90, it has to do with the eternity of God and in, in, in sharp contrast to the, to the transience of our human, human life. It's like a vapor. We don't think, we don't understand on God's level. We're told that over and over again. We try, and we should, but it hurts. You know, our brain matter just can't handle the truth. And we're limited to a linear timeline of history. Eternity escapes us trying to figure it out. So we are forced to rely on understanding our future from God's Word. That's all we got. That's where we have to continually go back. And so here's God's understanding that we're going to get right now. Verse 9. As a matter of fact, the Lord is not slow. There hasn't been a delay. The Lord is not slow concerning His promise, as some regard slowness, you and I. But He's being patient toward you because He does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The fact that God's time is not our time means that you and I can't judge whether or not God is delaying. We don't have that capacity. We don't have that ability. Peter talks about concerning his promise. What promise? Well, back in chapter 3, verse 4, and in chapter 1, verse 4, it hooks up with this promise that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And it could be today. The idea that God is not slow goes back to places like Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 3, where it says, For the message that I'm giving you is a witness to what is decreed. It gives reliable, reliable testimony about how matters will turn out, even if the message is not fulfilled right away. Wait patiently for it will certainly come to pass. It will not arrive late. It might arrive late by your reckoning, but not by God's. And notice this. This is the big part. A delay is, is emphatically not what is happening in our world today. It's not about delay. Instead of delay, what's happening is mercy. Why did you and I wake up this morning? Why did we make it this far in the day? It's 11.43. The mercy of God. What is happening is mercy. This long time in our books is all about God's mercy in His book. Judgment fire hasn't rained down on this planet because God is patient and long-suffering. That's the Peter's point. And this is part of God's own self-revelation. If you go back to Exodus 34, verse, verse 6, when, when Moses said, Lord God, I, I want to see you. Remember, God put him in the crack of a, of, a, of a mountain, and then he came by. And as he came by, what do you think God would say at that dramatic moment? Moses gets to see God. God says, the Lord, the Lord, 
the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's God. Jonah complained about this self-revelation of God, about who God really is. In Jonah chapter 4, verse 3, he said, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. That's why Jonah didn't want to preach to the people of Nineveh. He hated them. He wanted the people of Nineveh to die, to be destroyed, and he knew God would save them if they had a chance to hear and then an opportunity to repent, which they did, and he was ticked off because God's a God of mercy. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Jesus used the very same illustration. And of course Peter's going to use it because... He heard Jesus give the illustration. It's in Matthew 24 and in Luke chapter 12. And Jesus compared the, uh, the uh, vigilance of a homeowner. Maybe you're, you're this way. How you need to be on your guard against a thief who might try to break into your home. And so you do things and you're aware. And he said, in the same way, you, my followers, need to be like that with respect to my coming back. You need to be watching. You need to be prepared. You need to do everything you can to be ready for my return. And when it comes, Peter says, the heavens will disappear with a horrific noise and the celestial bodies will melt away in a blaze and the earth and every deed on it will be laid bare. It's wild, isn't it? Do you ever watch um, movies that are about the end of the world? <laughs> you, ever, you ever seen one of those? And some cataclysmic event's going to happen like a week from now and all the scientists says you've got a week or some alien is coming from outer space or from another dimension to destroy our planet. What are people like? They're evaluating everything they have and realizing what? It doesn't matter. It's all going to be gone. And what really matters is, and then they hug their wife and kiss their kids. And... We find a similar horrific end for the heavens and the earth described by John the Apostle in the revelation of Jesus Christ at the end of the Bible. But as you read Revelation, do you know what you notice? Even in that revelation of terrible judgments, one after another, at the end of all things, it still appears that the final judgment of God is held back in the hope that some people will repent. And there's this repeated lament all through the Psalms by angels, by people on the earth, by people on the altar of God. That in, and, and the lament is that they're watching People on the planet, instead of repenting, they keep on sinning or they curse God for bringing the plagues that God has brought to wake them up because that's what we're like. God sends you and I wake-up calls all the time, every day. Are we listening or do we hit the snooze button? 
And don't forget that the same delay of God to discipline those who scoff at what he has promised is applied to you and I, the church, in the beginning of the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 2 and in chapter 3 where it goes through the seven churches. And there the church is given the opportunity to repent and to turn back to God because it's walking away. And the point in Peter is that to bring judgment, God's got to peel back everything that stands in the way. And this means removing the heavens or the sky, burning up all the celestial bodies. Can you imagine when our universe burns up? Billions and billions and billions. It's, 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 un, it's inconceivable in our minds. And the picture is stripping away everything that stands in the way between God's gaze and you and I on the planet. And when the sky and the heavenly bodies are gone, you've got this picture that the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And that's the goal. To expose everything that has gone on and is going on on the earth so that all the things that you and I as human, human beings think that we can do with impunity are suddenly exposed to the eye of God. There's nothing in the way. It's all revealed. So you have this uncovering in Revelation and in Second Peter here. You have this exposing and then you have the purifying of the earth with fire. Verse 11, since all these things are to melt away in this manner. So this is going to happen. This is what he's saying. This is pretty clear. Since all these things are to melt away in this manner, what sort of people must we be? If this is really what's true. Conducting our lives in holiness and godliness while waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Question mark. Because of this day, and he says it again, like, it's like, Peter, we get it. No, he said, you need to hear it again. Because of this day that is coming, the heavens and will be burned up and dissolve and the celestial bodies will melt away in a blaze. Verse 13, but according to his promise, we, anybody who's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior and paid their sin debt on the cross, but according to this, his promise that he's coming back, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness truly resides. The, the apocalyptic scenario that Peter has painted is not designed for you and I to kind of go, oh, okay, now I understand how everything's going to, that's cool, all right, sweet, yeah, thank you, God, and then turn back and do whatever it is that we were doing. <laughs> it's not the point. Peter has reminded us of these prophetic truths from God because there are scoffers teachers in the church of God whose false conception of who God really is and what is really coming down the timeline pipe towards all of us fast and furious has led them to adjust the reliability of God's coming judgment to fit their selfish desires, to fit their, their immoral lifestyles that they just want to keep on being able to do what they want to do. Like they got their ticket to heaven, so now I can do whatever I want to do. 
You know, there's a, a prosperity gospel that has gained significant momentum here in the United Ch- States. And it's, it's even penetrated most of the poorest countries in the world because of its promise of riches and wealth and health. And it's a, it's a precise example of this kind of folly, this kind of thinking. A, a true understanding of God's future, of where we're headed, and what he says that we can take to the bank, it's guaranteed, that understanding should bring about a corresponding lifestyle that fits this. And it's got very little to do with you and I having a guaranteed prosperity in the here and now. Because it's not about the here and now. But an unbridled selfishness, a lust for the things of this planet, leads to a prosperity conclusion. Because it fits our sinful desires. It fits, like a glove. The point is, that this future renewed creation is not a place where, where God's will is occasionally done, like in our current world, in this current age. It's, it's not a place where God's will is done in countercultural little groups here and there, like in the true church. It's a place where God's will rules. It's a place where God's will is totally at home. It's normal. And it's why you and I are supposed to wait and long for that place. And it's why you and I should be so exercised to tell other people the truth so they can escape by God's mercy, like you and I have. The teachers Peter opposes are not going to have a place there. This is really serious stuff. In this new age of the universe, it's going to be you and I as true followers of Jesus Christ. And we're exhorted to live. And Peter and even Jude assumes that we are living holy and godly lives. Because we're going to be at home there. We're going to be comfortable. We're not going to feel like strangers or weirdos. As our dysfunctional godly life in our present culture appears to be. We really do stand out. At least we're supposed to. Right? I mean, you can't get around that. I know people try to soft sell that, even in the church. But when you live a holy, godly life in the here and now, you will stand out. How important is it to have a moment-by-moment longing for Jesus to return? Moment-by-moment. Not not on Sundays. Not whenever you read those portions in God's Word, but I mean just consistent. How important is that? Is it really that big of a thing to focus on in my daily life, at work, in the home, out in the street, at the mall, if you go to the mall? Should it be the main topic of conversation when Christians get together? You know, after they talk about the tigers and the lions, 
and the bears? Or should this be our main conversation, our main focus, our main longing? Doing that, doesn't that make us look weird? Doesn't that make us look like we've got this wishful thinking about some sort of uh, uh, fantasy land that's coming? Could it lessen the importance of our responsibilities to be successful as our culture determines what success is? Listen, I'm going to close with this. Listen to how Paul tells a young man about the impact of a proper perspective of Jesus' return and how we must live according. It's 2 Timothy chapter 4, first eight verses. Listen to this. I solemnly charge you, Timothy, before God and Jesus Christ, who is going to judge the living and the dead. That's a fact. And it should change the way you live. And by his appearing, he's coming back, and his kingdom, it's coming. Preach the message. This is what you should do. Preach the message. Be ready whether it's convenient or not. Don't wait for the time to be right. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience. There's not a whole lot of that today either in instruction. For there will be a time. Boy, I think Paul read Peter and Jude or vice versa. Listen to this. For there will be a time when people will not tolerate sound teaching. Instead, following their own desires, they will accumulate teachers for themselves in the church because they have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things. Oh, that's, that's amazing. I didn't know that was in the Bible. We can do that. And they will turn away from hearing the truth. But on the other hand, they will turn aside to myths. This isn't even truth. You, however, be self-controlled in all things. Endure hardship. By the way, are you enduring the hardship of our current season well? Just asking. Do an evangelist's work while you endure hardship. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already, this is Paul then, here's what I've done, Timothy, and Paul is writing, this is the last letter Paul wrote, and he wrote it from a hole in the ground in Rome, just before he was going to be executed. They took him outside the city and cut off his head. He's at the end of his life, and what really matters, he's saying, for I am already being poured out like an offering, and the time for me to depart is at hand. I have competed well. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally, the crown of righteousness is reserved for me. The Lord, the righteous judge, will award it to me in that day when he comes back. But listen to this, everybody. And not to me only, but to all who have set their affection. Where? On his appearing. This is how important focusing on the second coming of Jesus Christ in judgment and salvation is for you and I. Everything hinges on this. Amen. It changes everything. So here's a convicting question for you to go with today and go have lunch. Are you looking forward to God's judgment and salvation? The problem with we followers of Jesus Christ is not that we look forward too much to it, but that we don't look forward to it enough. We tend to conform our lifestyles to this present age. 
inside the church. We tend to live, try to live functionally so that people won't notice that we are Christians. When there should be some dysfunction if we're being true to the Savior. Peter points out that conforming our lifestyles to feed our needs and our desires is short-sighted. It's not a wise investment. There is no return. It's zero. It's probably even negative. Instead, Peter exhorts us to have our eyes fixed on the coming age and to let that coming age determine our lifestyle now. And it's to that topic that Peter turns and we go to next week. Would you stand with me? Let us pray and just thank God for clarity. (laughs) Clarity in times of confusion and in this life. It's always going to be a time of confusion. But God gives clarity. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. And we first of all thank you for your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who makes all things possible. Who makes lifestyles that are transformative, that change, can be used by you to change other people, are available to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, indwell us so that we are filled in such a way that we go out into this world and, Lord, we love people. We do the right things. We work hard with our hands. We show patience, love, and compassion to everyone that we meet, regardless of where they're coming from or who they are or into what they were born. And God, we know with that enablement, you work. And we wait for you in the coming of your Son. And we sing to you now because you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.